Bonjour, comment ça va? Uh, je m'appelle Norbert Nolte Chabert, but everybody calls me Norby. And welcome to the Back of the House podcast. Uh, it's kind of like I feel like I'm in that movie where you go, I bet you're wondering how I got here. And uh, I'm kind of wondering that myself. Uh, this is something that we've been wanting to do for a while now. Uh, some would call it a passion project. Um, but being a graduate of Nickel State University and being a benefactor of the John Falls Culinary Institute here on campus, uh, we wanted to start something that really, really talks about the other side of the plate, so to speak. You know, I've always loved talking about food. If you follow any of my social media uh, platforms, you'll see me always cooking. You'll see me posting from restaurants. Uh, not that I like to take a picture uh, of the food that I'm eating in a lot of places, but sometimes I like to just let you know where I'm at. And uh, that may be Commanders, that may be Galatoire's, that might be Buy Your Blue Po' Boy, just to let you know that I'm doing something that you wish you was doing at the moment. You know, I've been blessed and lucky in my life uh, that I'm able to have a job and a career that puts me in a lot of the best restaurants and, and eateries uh, around the country. Uh, I love with an, what another uh, Nichols alumni is doing. We can't call him an illustrious alumni just yet, but he's getting there. Uh, Gerald Gurning is, is doing an amazing thing in Lafayette where he's going to all these joints and he's popping off on TikTok and Instagram and doing little spots where he's like, let's go, baby, and he just walks in and he grabs a hot plate. And that's starting to pop off. You see it with Portnoy and Barstool Sports, where he's going to give these pizza ratings. And, and these, plate, these little mom and pop shops are, are blowing up. Now look, I don't have any delusions of grandeur and expect that we're going to make this podcast into something that's going to really, really be a big boost to, uh, to commerce. But you know, the restaurant and hospitality services is going through a really, really tough time right now. And they have been for a couple of years now. So if we can do anything to give you a little bit of a peep behind the curtain uh, about what it's like to be in this industry, because it's not just about the food, right? It's about the chefs. It's about the servers, the bartenders, the bar backs, the janitors, um, and the owners. You know, and I've been all of those things. So I think that, you know, my perspective uh, is going to be a little, a little something unique. Uh, clearly, I'm a, I'm a talker, and uh, I like to talk to people. And I like to have conversations. So, th so that's what this is about. And that's what this podcast is really going to be: talking to the people that make the restaurant industry work, make the hospitality industry work, make the service industry work. And look, it's not just going to be about food. Okay, we're going to talk about cocktails. Uh, we're going to talk about running hotels. We're going to talk about you know mom and pop snowball stands down the bayou that are iconic. You know, and bring you back to a feeling because that's what this is all about, right? It's, uh, some say eat, pray, love. Uh, some say that, you know, life is about a couple of things and one of them is not only eating but enjoying eating with the people that you care about. I always say that I like to cook uh, for people and the, the biggest display of affection that you could do in the Cajun culture is to make somebody a crawfish bisque because that is so time consuming and you got to put a whole lot of love into it. And, and look, I tried to do it for about four or five years in my own family, and we owned a crawfish farm, and it made it extremely difficult even for me, so I know how hard it is. But it comes back to that red beans and rice on a Monday, that simple show of love that we do here in this unique culture in South Louisiana. But hey, look, we hope things go great, and we're coming uh, 
to you with people that are running restaurants in Austin, in Greenville, South Carolina, hell, maybe even New York, because this thing we do, you know, it's kind of like La Cosa Nostra, the fraternal family of the hospitality industry is a big one. And that's one of the things that we're gonna do here, is we're gonna interview folks that are not only on the cutting edge of what's happening in the industry right now, but the survivors, okay? People that, that you know, maybe have been on a high going into the pandemic and had to shut a place or two down and have rallied and rebounded. We want to talk about the successes that are happening because God knows there's enough struggles in this world. Um, but you know, who am I? You may know me from a couple other different lives. Uh, but one thing I want you to know me for on this is that I am of this industry. Look, I started my first hospitality job in my brother's truck stop in Chauvin, Louisiana when I was just a humble uh, shelf stocker, a cooler boy, a janitor. I swept the parking lots and then I worked the fryers, okay, and I stocked the, uh, the hot counter. And uh, they never really put me behind the register, thank God, because that wouldn't have worked out for nobody. Uh, but then I kind of grew up a little bit and when I turned 18, I was able to mosey on over to the truck stop side and that's when I got behind the bar. And little did I know that that would start something that I would go on to do not only for the six or so years that I bartended consistently in and around the Bayou region and Homa and Thibodeau, but that one day I would open up my own uh, establishment. Uh, some of you may remember Bar Roussel in Homa, our great patio lounge here in Thibodeau. You know, those were projects that were again passion projects. Uh, I thought there was something that the market needed. And you're going to hear that time and time again from some of our guests as we go through this. Why did you do it? What was your motivation? What brought you to saying, you know what, I'm going to put it all on the line and I'm going to try to do this. And it's, you know, it's that love of this thing that we do. And, you know, if you have never worked a shift, be it on the floor, okay, be it on the line, uh, being it behind the bar, you know, you, you, you're never really going to have a true appreciation for what it's like for the men and women that make the hospitality industry go. But you know what? If you're behind that and you're on the other side of the bar and you're on the other side of the table and you're watching these people trying to do it for you, okay, and themselves, because they got to put a hot plate of food on their table for their family as well and they got to pay the rent. So, you know, it's, it's, hoping to bring that connection of inspiration from the people that put on stuff like this and uh, the ones that have survived and the ones that just absolutely love it. You know, one of the taglines that we talk about uh, with the back of the house is uh, we call it a social of the industry that you hate to love. Because let me tell you something, when you're working a 10, 12, 14 hour shift on a parade day in New Orleans or Homa and you're dealing with thousands of people coming in and out of your store. It's a great thing, but man, it'll bust your ass, okay? And it'll, work, it'll wreck your feet, and it'll make you question humanity on so many different levels that you couldn't understand. And those are the stories that we're gonna talk about. So what's gonna be the format here, all right? Um, we're a little bit up in the air on that. You know, this is kinda like our pilot episode, and we're just going a little bit from the, from the cusp, but if you see me referring to this, yeah, I got a script, because I mean, hey, look, Failing to prepare is preparing to fail, and I don't like to do that, right? So, the, the structure of the show is gonna be basically three things, okay? And um, 
If you've been hanging out with me at any point in time, professionally or personally, in the last few years, you've constantly heard me tell this story about the single best bite of food, right? Um, you may remember some years back on WWL 870 Radio, uh, Corey Johnson. Okay, Corey's dad, Phil, was the uh, commentator for WWL. He talked about a lot about the serious things going on in the city and in the state and in the region. And Corey was a great journalist and commentator and he found his home in sports radio. Well, you know, the coveted drive time time slot on WWL, the Big 870, you know, you had some serious folks uh, promoting on there and a little known restaurant back in the day in Fat City called Drago's, right? Mama Septanovich and, and the boys. Uh, we're just kind of getting started with a thing that would come and revolutionize the industry. And that was the Drago's Charbroiled Oyster, right? You see them everywhere now. You can go to a bar for happy hour in some places in Louisiana and get Charbroiled Oysters. Well, it was a new thing back then, okay? And one of the ways that Corey would promote it every day would be like, in his great yat ass accent, he'd be like, let me tell you something, New Orleans the single best bite of food in the city is the Drago's Charbroiled Oyster. I'm telling you, and that's saying something, all right? Now, that ain't the best Corey Johnson impersonation, but if you know Corey Johnson, tell him I do a not-so-bad one, right? And that's what it's all about. That first segment is gonna be telling you about my single best bite that I've had recently. We don't have one today, but I'm gonna riff a little bit and tell you about what I personally think is the single best bite of food in the Bayou region. And look, that's saying something. Because you can go into any aunt's or, or mama's or mama's or daddy's house. Hell, you can go to a football tailgate here at Nichols on a Saturday and find some of the best food you're ever going to eat in your life. All right? But it ain't, necess it ain't necessarily about a thing you get in the restaurant. It's about that one bite of food where you're like, damn, that's some good stuff right there. Well, right here in Thibodeau and Homa, we are blessed, okay, with what I, you know, I joke and call them the first family of Mexican cuisine in the state of Louisiana, the Easy Guess, okay, with La Casa del Sol. And yeah, look, people love the salsa at La Casa, and it's phenomenal, okay? You can't go to very many places and get a good warm salsa, La Casa has that. And no, La Casa's not sponsoring this show yet, but we want them to, we want them to, it's how I'm gonna be talking to you. Um, but let me tell you about what I think is the single best bite of food in this region. The deluxe nacho from La Casa del Sol may be the most perfectly constructed nacho in the history of nacho constructing. If you never had it, this is what we're talking about, all right? Picture it, a small circular tostada chip with a layer of ground beef and beans and cheese and then they top it with a little dollop of their house-made guacamole and one jalapeno. Now it comes in order a six or 12. And let me just tell you, all right, you ain't never had something that good until you can bite into one of those nachos. And that's what it's all about. That's, that's what finding the single best bite of food that I've had is all about. You're gonna get that here on the back of the house every show and you know it's going to be a treat for me because i'm going to get to talk about all these great places that i've had but don't don't be surprised if i don't tell you look man 
we were hunting in Myrtle Grove, and my boy Jean-Paul Bourgeois sliced up some duck breast that we had just knocked down this morning and put a little Szechuan teriyaki. I don't even know if that's a thing, but Jean-Paul would, right? And he seared it on a black iron skillet and just put a little truffle salt on it, and that might have been the single best bite of food that I had. Or it might be, look, I went over to my Aunt Wita's house, and as always, her white beans will knock out, okay? Or it may be, look, I went to this really, really upscale place in New Orleans and they gave me a little amuse-bouche and it knocked my socks off. The most important thing is that I'm out there and I'm, I'm able to try it and I'm able to share it with you because being able to share food and stories is all part of that joie de vivre that we have in South Louisiana across the South and we're blessed to have in this country. So I look forward to bringing it to you, all right? And then the second half we're going to do a little one-on-one, -on -one, all right, with somebody in the industry. You know, today we're blessed and lucky. We're going to have my good friend, uh, Chef Randy Sheremy of uh, the Culinary Institute here at Nichols. Randy and I have been knowing each other for a very, very long time on a number of different levels. If you don't know Randy, not only is he an instructor here at Nichols, uh, he's a graduate of the theater. And I actually acted on stage with Randy uh, once at a production of the Repstock Players in South Lafouche uh, for a program that, that talked about the, um, the 1893 hurricane that destroyed the Shinyak Kaminata uh, just next to Grand Isle. It was one point in time the worst hurricane in the history of our state. Randy played my dad. He's a, a, an extremely accomplished thespian. He's been awarded in New Orleans uh, for, for his uh, performances, uh, for things like Fiddle on the Roof, where he played Tevi. And uh, you know, recently, he and John Spud McConnell just did an amazing show in Homa uh, of uh, production of Inherit the Wind, where they actually did it in the old downtown Homa courthouse. But he's a hell of a chef. He's a hell of a personality. If you never heard him sing, I don't know if we're going to get him to sing today, but who knows? We'll see. Uh, but more importantly, he is of this industry. He's in this thing that we do, and he has been his whole life. His, rest, his father's restaurant, Randolph's in Golden Meta, it's iconic, okay? Uh, personally, the single best bite of food I ever had over there was that crab meat of gratin. You want to talk about knocking socks off. But Randy's going to talk about the industry. He's going to talk about where it's been, where it is today, and where he thinks it's going. Certainly, we're going to have some laughs. Uh, I can't wait to hear that booming voice crack up on a couple of things uh, while we're riffing here. And look, this whole thing's going to be very unscripted. Okay, don't let this fool you right here. While I do have a couple of notes, you can tell I'm just kind of going with it. And I hope that's the way these industries are going to be. I mean, these interviews are going to be about the industry. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions and I'm going to let my guests talk because while I have done a lot of this stuff, it's not going to be the level that these folks do. So I'm excited about that. We've got an incredible list of guests uh, lined up. Uh, Neil Bodenheimer, uh, you know, Brandon Landry, uh, hopefully Melissa Martin's going to be able, we're going to be able to knock her down. Congratulations to Melissa on her uh, recent James Beard Award for the Mosquito Supper Club cookbook. Um, and uh, Robert LeBlanc, you know, the list goes on and on. We're reaching out to a lot of contacts that we have in this industry. And uh, we think it's going to be something that uh, you'll enjoy and you won't get bored with. Uh, why am I doing it and where we're going? Hell, I don't know. Like I said, it's a passion project. But I got tired of people saying, um, 
you ought to do something uh, about this. And, and more often than not, they'd say, when are you going to open a restaurant? Well, that's probably not going to happen. So I think that this might be this, the next best thing, and certainly cheaper. So uh, with no further ado, we're going to segue into our interview with Randy Sheremy. And when that wraps up, we're going to tell you about the, uh, how we're going to do this from going forward with our last segment, which uh, we affectionately are going to call the Critical Critique. And with that, um, We'll give you a little insight on some of the places that we've been, what we think they're doing right, what they could be doing a little better, and uh, hopefully give them some pub. So we'll see you back in a second with Chef Randolph Sheremy, a.k.a. Big Randy. All right, Daddy-o. How you been, partner? I've been good. I've been good the last couple of years, in fact, ever since I got out of administration. <laughs> Well, Norby, I'm finally doing what I came to the Institute to do, uh, teach. Yeah. And that's all I have to worry about. I don't have to worry about the daily you know, administrative duties and everything, which, look, don't get me wrong, I enjoy doing that. And, but that's not what I came here to yeah. do. I mean, I ran my own business for 20 years, you know, but, you know, I was here for a few years and I had some skin in the game, you know, and when Dr. Halbert asked me to step up, I did. And, uh, and I was really angry when that president, who will remain nameless, uh, took it away from me, took my directorship and my full-time status away. But if you'd walk in right now, I'd give him a big slop wet kiss. <laughs> well, how does Gore say it sometimes? Do you thank God for an answer? Yeah, right? you're right. You're right, because now I just have to worry about my students, and it's all good. You a know buddy I mean? of mine that runs a boat company, uh, he got a Coast Guard inspection. If you, you know, I mean, you from down to buy, you know how Coast Guard inspections go. Yes. It's it's the bane of their existence. And he goes, man, I had the best. Co Never heard him say this in 30 years. I had the best Coast Guard inspection. The guy was he wasn't retired Army. He left the Army, joined the the Coast Guard. He was a captain. Yeah. I said, why did you do it? He goes, I was commanding like a battalion at the time. He goes, you know how I'm commanding now? Nobody. I love it. <laughs> same same thing, right? Basically, yeah. You know, I don't have to go to any meetings. Yeah. What? Because over here they got meetings about the meetings they're gonna have. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just gets nuts. So, um, uh, you know. And you've been you've been here since what day one? Just about. I've been here twenty three years. And we started. I remember I was in school when things got cranked up here. Mm -hmm. The official start date for the institute was what? Ninety seven. Ninety seven. Ninety six. Mm -hmm. Something like that. I came in ninety nine. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. And you know, the whole story goes. And, and we're gonna have John, uh, mm -hmm. Chef John Falls, on the program at some point uh, when Michelle lets him. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, let's be clear on who runs. That's operation. right. No question. No question. But and I'll I'll save the 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 whole story for when he's on there. But you know, for for those of you at home, the, the legend has it that the John Falls Culinary Institute at Nickel State University started when old Doc Io and John were sharing a bowl of gumbo. And we'll let him riff on that one day. And I would think a few a few bottles of wine. I was gonna say I was I was gonna correct you if you only said glasses. I only said glasses. But you know, it, it came from humble means. And then here we are, we're in this beautiful uh, Lanny Lede building, uh, home of Bistro Ruth. You guys have done an incredible job uh, with it. So, to, to, where are we with the institute, kind of, kind of right now? Well, you know, what's your enrollment looking like? You know, enrollment is is going up a little every fall semester. You know, it's not, you know, in a time where all culinary schools are seeing drops, we're kind of keeping our own and even increasing a little bit. You know. Uh, I think that mainly has to do with our price point because a lot of the uh, other culinary schools, you know, can be quite expensive. Yeah. You know, I mean, in the six-figure area, we know we're close to that. I always say to those other schools, you could buy a, a high-end Maserati, you know, for what it costs to go to school there. 
you could come and here. And two-year degree. Uh, some two and some four, you know, but uh, you could come here and uh, for the price of a mid-sized Buick, get a much better <laughs> education and, and have more fun because you're going to have a true university experience, which, you know, those other schools, they can say what they want. And I'm talking about the CIA's Johnson and Wales and those kind of. Don't get me wrong; they're they're preeminent culinary schools, no doubt about it. But they're upscale trade schools. Yeah, they're not they're not a true university. Nichols is such a gem; it really is because it's almost like going to a private school. No doubt, there's 6,500 students here. You have you have a, a faculty that is really engaged, and I'm not talking about us. You know, I'm talking about every department on, on this campus, you know, I mean, they, they just, ha they're so student-oriented, you know, um, and, you know, I, I mean, I, and I tell this to anybody who will lend me an ear, you know, our, our business department has accreditations that only 5% of business schools in the world have. Our nursing school, you better have good grades going in. That's At right. the two-year mark, you better have great grades to get a, a place in those clinicals. Because right. if you don't, you're going to finish at Southeastern or somewhere else, okay? Education department, I was a keynote speaker at a, at a awards banquet, K-12 through in Lafourche Parish. 28 awards. Every one of them was a Nichols graduate. Wow. Not one from LSU? Right. No. Not one from UL? No. Nichols. So this... And then as far as the culinary school, you know, I mean, it just made sense. Here we are, we're less than an hour away from a mecca of fine dining. Uh, of mecca, not only for Louisiana, but I think for the oh, nation. Oh, internationally, no question. <clears throat> you know, you know I, I mean, mean um, you'll have more people upset it more than me, you know, I mean, that uh, uh, one of the two most important art forms that come out of the new world was jazz and Cajun Creole cuisine, That's baby. It. You know, Anthony Bourdain says it. You know, I mean, there's no place like New Orleans. No, I've been to places all over the world. And why is that? And it's because of those seven nations, and, and it's still evolving. No doubt. You know, that, that eighth nation could be Vietnamese, because look at what Mike Galata and stuff, or, you know, and guys like Another him. Another fine, distinguished alum yeah, uh, that, that we've reached out to to get him. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny, I don't know how much you follow him and Clessy yeah. on, 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 on social media, but that's, that, you want to talk about a frick and a frack, <laughs> and both doing great things, respectively, in, in this thing we do, in this industry, you know. Clessy's really uh, uh, in a more traditional sense of that crawfish ball, yeah, you know, sure. cold boy style, and then yeah. you got Mike, who's doing amazing things, like you said. You know, and, and who would have thought 30 years ago that New Orleans would be a developing market for Asian infusion? I mean, you would have thought back in the day you wanted to cure a hangover, you need a lucky dog, now you need a bowl of Yakame, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. think about it. Right, I mean, it's just, uh, and that was because of after the Vietnamese War, Catholic Charities and, you know, and had, had a big hand in bringing a lot of people here. And of course, Eastern New Orleans is where they settled, most of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, you know, <laughs> the best French bakeries in the city are owned by Vietnamese. Hell, the best king cake in the, in the city may be, you best know. French bread. Yeah, exactly. French it's French a baguette, bread. huh? You know, the French occupied Vietnam for a long time. That's Guess right. what? Some people paid attention. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. But you know, you talk about the university and, and opportunities to get a culinary education yeah. in places. And y you're hitting it. It's a culture here, and it's 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 a well, you know, it's a point of confluence where not only do you have New Orleans, you know, 45 minutes up the road, okay, but you've got 
the true Bayou cuisine, 30 minutes north and 30 minutes south no. from South Terrebonne, South Lafourche, up the Bayou and the Pierre Port, and then you go an hour down the road out west and you're in the heart of Acadiana wh where you're getting all of it. What's so special about being a cook in South Louisiana is that, is that the culture is, is all about, you know, congregating around a table, around maybe a lot of times a family table. You know, when I had my, my restaurant in, in Golden Meta, I never looked at any one other restaurant as being my competition. Mm -hmm. You know who was my competition? The family table. Yeah. There's a lot of good cooks down Absolutely. there, all right? And, and that means a lot to us. I, and, and in the city, you know, going to eat out at a really upscale restaurant not because it's somebody's birthday or it's somebody's anniversary, because it's a Tuesday, and why not? <laughs> That's right. Right? I mean, it's just we, 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 take, we, take the t we take life a little slower. We know what's important. We, our friends are important, and, and meeting and talking and laughing and drinking and eating is all a big part of our life. Well, I'll share this with you. In, in one of my recently closed chapters of, of my life book, I was coming down between two jobs. Okay, uh, both corporate, and one was headquartered uh, in Metairie, off of the expressway, mm -hmm. uh, 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 to, by the causeway, mm -hmm. and one was on the corner of Padres and Carondelet St. Charles. Okay, in one shell square, I still call it one shell mm -hmm. square. Sorry, Hancock Whitney Plaza. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I call it. You know, I mean, who doesn't? So, the thought of I can knock off, okay, and walk not only to some of the best happy hours, yeah. but at lunch, yeah. I could walk two blocks and be at Mr. B's, mm -hmm. okay? I could be at any number of restaurants oh, yeah. in the French Quarter, like it, like people are going to Subway, yeah. okay, in other places, yeah, yeah. And, it, and that was the decider for me, yeah. you know? Yeah. We're blessed, we're lucky, you know, it's, a, it's amazing, uh, all of these opportunities that we have, certainly the, what, and, uh, and what's great about New Orleans too is that they champion the independent. Yeah. You know, uh, you don't see that. I mean, you just go an hour down the street, you know, down I-10 to Baton Rouge. Is it like that there? No. Well, I'll tell you what, no, I spent it's a lot getting of, better. It's getting a it's lot getting better. better. When I got when I got elected to the Senate in 09, okay, <laughs> there were like three really good restaurants. Yeah. One of them was Roos Chris, okay, yeah, yeah. which to say that one of your three good restaurants is Roos Chris is, uh, that's not saying much, yeah. but it has grown by leaps and bounds, the culinary scene there. And one of the folks that we're having on the podcast is uh, Stephen Hightower, yeah. who's doing amazing things. He's got Beausoleil, he's got Rouge Creole, and I'm gonna say this, free free, free pub. So uh, Rouge Creole is in, is in Perkins Row. Uh, they opened up recently, a couple of years ago, survived the pandemic, I think because of the strength of Hightower's group. Randy, let me tell you something. The best gumbo Okay. Wow, you're saying a lot there, The bro. best gumbo I have ever had outside of this area that tasted like gumbo you would have got uh, in the 10th Ward, okay, okay. On, a, on a Tuesday night at, at, your, at your aunt's house, yeah. okay? I mean, phenomenal. <laughs> Done the right way, and the last time I was in there, it was great. They had a boy from Pierre Port uh, in there. I think he's a Sheck Snyder running the joint. I said, okay, y'all doing things right. Y'all doing things right. But it's a growing scene, but you're right. You know, I, I say this about Lafayette all the time. Um, for a city, that is where it is, mm -hmm. 
the restaurant scene isn't what it needs to be. Considering no. the amount of wealth and opportunity that exists in Lafayette, and look, and I went to UL. It's a great place. It's and it's getting better there too. Yeah, a little bit, you but know, uh, but you know, it, it ain't where it should be. Not at the where creative. it needs to be, and uh, you know that that's part of the other part of this 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 podcast is being a little bit critical of, of a couple of places. Uh, well, I'm not getting myself. No, you, you ain't got to. That's me. It ain't, it ain't about you. I ain't asking you to do none of that stuff. <laughs> but you know, I think it's important that as you lift up. The industry you also got to tell the industry, hey, look, you might not want to be serving a serrated knife with a ninety dollars steak. Yeah. Okay, it's little things like that. We got, but, uh, uh, you know, we, I've got, uh, you know, I'm overseeing about thirty kids doing their internships coast to coast this summer, and um, and it's so much fun for me to, to, you know, and they have they have to write certain, you know, a certain amount on Moodle uh, every week. They have usually three assignments a week, you know, and it has to be uh, in on Sunday nights by 11 p.m. So I'll, on Mondays and Tuesdays, I usually grade, you know, and uh, and it's just so much fun to, to, to read what, they, what they're writing and, and when, they, when they have these aha moments, yeah. you know. Um, it's, it's just so gratifying, ah, oh, finally they get it, you know, about, you know, uh, exactly what it is that we do in this business, you know, especially when, you consider, uh, when, when you're talking about hot cuisine mm -hmm. or, or those restaurants that have very high standards of excellence, you know. And, and it is about teamwork and it's about, you know, working very diligently and precisely at those little things so that the big thing is, is just, it really comes out well. You know, you can't have a good sauce if you don't have a good stock or a good demi-gloss or a good foundation, mm -hmm. right? And and who makes that? The person that usually makes that is the lowest person on the totem pole. Right. He's in the prep kitchen. He's getting paid the least amount of money. But without that demi-gloss, their upstairs kitchen is screwed, you know? Because they don't. that's such a big base of their sauce system, you know? So it's... Um, you know, but they're getting it. That it's everybody is. There's no unimportant job. All right. If you're gonna, if if it's your if it's your turn to to blanch the green beans because we have you know haricovar on as one of the vegetable parts of a plate. You know, you make sure that you boil them, blanch them for about three to four minutes. Shock them in ice water. All right. Don't let them sit there. Take them out. Dry them off wrap them up, keep them cool. That keeps them green, right? It green keeps them crisp. green, but it's also, all they have to do is put a little butter in the pan, you know, and, and hit the green beans with a little salt, and, bop, bop, yeah, bop, bop, and it's done, yeah. and it's cooked, and you not feel like you're eating wax. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's properly cooked, it's green, it's beautiful. You know, and that, one of my pet peeves, you talk about pet peeves? I've been to some high-end restaurants, and I get raw green beans, it puts me through the absolutely, roof. Absolutely, absolutely. And you talked about that teamwork. You know, one of the things that, that was impressed upon me early about the Institute is that team concept. It's you know, that what y'all do with Bistro Ruth, even going back to when we were stashed off back in, the, in yeah. Go Hall, where you teach the students all of the stations, okay? Uh, you know, when I was in school, uh, I was working for a good friend of ours, uh, Grady Verrett, your son yeah. uh, Jean-Luc worked for him for a yeah. long time. Grady, when you you might have been hired as a bartender, okay, but he needed you to know how to serve pizza if he had to move you over. Sure. You know, you had to know how to fry yeah. on the fryers if the fryer went down. You had to damn well be sure that you can wash the dishes in case the bar back, you know, Cross training couldn't make it. That's what it's all yeah, about. You guys doing a phenomenal job of it. I think the height of it is Russian service. Well, you're right. There's not. It's not everybody that teaches that anymore. Um, and sometimes I'll have a student say, "Well, 
you know, if I'm not going to see this in industry, why, why am I learning about it? I said, well, you're learning about it because, you know, when you want to study something that you love, all right, um, and you come to university to learn it, you should learn it in a scholarly way. We teach it because it's classical service. The reason why people don't do it is because it's hard to That's do. That's right. Give us and a reason, and, and we do it. I think I think we do it pretty well. I think y'all do it phenomenal. Give, yeah. give the viewers uh, and the listeners who, who may not be familiar with what true Russian service is like. Our Russian service is usually it's usually multiple course. You know, and in our case, it's a it's a seven course meal, and it's not just the food being served. It's not Russian food. It's in fact more often in our case, it's it's Creole or upscale Cajun Creole food. All right. Uh, or at least French food, all right? It's the style of service. Um, when people basically think of Russian service, it's, uh, it's, it's taking food from a, from a beautiful platter, beautifully organized food, but either the old way was with a spoon and a fork, which is very difficult to do. We have silver tongs, okay? Mm -hmm. And putting the portion onto the plate in front of the guest. And, you, and this is done with a teamwork. Let's say, for an and example, completely synchronized. Yeah. Right? Everyone gets the bread at the same time. Right. right? Well, yeah. But let me finish. Just, yeah. just say, saying one course. The, the, let's say the, the meat course. So the first person in that line of there's a 16 top table, 16 people at a table. Will um, the first person will the first server will come and you'll look at the at the guy that's orchestrating everything in the corner because everybody's looking at him and he'll nod his head and so that starch is put onto the plate and on three tables all at the same time boom, 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 boom. all right she moves on the next person comes on and while you know she's going to put the starch he's going to put the, the the meat on that first plate boom and they move down and they all look at the guy it's all done in in unison the next person will do the sauce all right and they those three will move around the table okay so and it's all controlled by that one guy with a nod of the head, all right? But it's the same thing with wine service. It's the same thing with bread service. It's the same thing for every right. every course, okay? And that's true Russian service. Synchronized, precision, it's movement. All, it's, it's, it's choreographed. Yeah. They, they work for hours in an empty dining room to get this right, okay? And it's, it is normally seen at the White House. When, when the White House has state dinners, that's done a la Russe. They do some, what they call gang service, if it's a smaller party, where you know, if it's a table for six and there's six you know, waiters or service people hitting the plates, at the, that's what they do at, at, at uh, Emeralds in New Orleans, that's gang service. And at Delmonico, which is no longer in existence. But, you know, everybody's entree gets put at the same. There's no waiting, all right? Everybody, no, even different entrees are placed on the table at the same time, okay? Russian service is different, all right? So it's, it is difficult to do. You know, it is really difficult. We, they practice for hours. And Paul. And you know what you don't see? You know Did he just knock his mic down? No, you sure? The other side. You know what you don't see? Is that they, um, they go ahead and they, uh, outside, they have this. <laughs> they have this little relay race, where we we're gonna have some uh, tray jacks like that. We'll have three of them. All of a sudden, so you 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 bring your tray, and you go to the first one. And you load up six with with the covers on the plates. You know, put put three and three, three at the bottom, three on yeah. top. You go to the next one. You, you, and it's just a it, and it's a um, it's a relay race. You know, it's, it's a culinary more, field day. Well, it's it's, it's <laughs> a way of getting rid of some old <laughs> some old flat 
plates and stuff because a lot of them will break. Y'all call that Greek service, but, right? <laughs> <laughs> but they have such a great time doing it. And it's it's good camaraderie from them. Absolutely, and it's, you know, and it's, it, it, it's a team building exercise. And you know the is. team aspect of this this thing we do, Yankee Cup, is like La Cosa Nostra. Once you're in, you're in for life. Uh, well, you know, it goes to you, you. You said you wanted to hear some stories. We had a, an, an extern that was working at uh, the French Laundry in uh, in uh, uh, Napa, California, and. Uh, Thomas Keller is probably a, a you know he, he's usually on an even keel. He doesn't lose his his, his mind too often, you know, or gets mad very often. But um, this one particular day, and I mean this this intern witnessed this herself. <clears throat> he went into the um, he went into the cooler, and he smelled something that was off, and he nailed it. He, 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 he showed, it, it was the rabbits. They didn't uh, rotate mm. properly when the when the new ones came. They should have been put yeah. back, and, and well, they didn't do that. And uh, um, so they had some rabbits that had gone south. And these are you know very special rabbits. They're grown just for him, you know, and uh, to do very precise specifications. And they had to be thrown away. So the next time he ordered rabbits, he ordered live ones. Uh uh. And uh, what you want me to do, Chef? I said, I want you to slaughter those rabbits. Now I don't know if you know this, but you know rabbits scream when they're being <laughs> slaughtered. I mean, they don't like it. <laughs> you know, no. they make a hellacious noise. Well, I tell you, well, all you the rabbits I've known have been on the wrong end of it, like a twenty gauge or a four ten. They didn't scream much. He didn't. Uh, he didn't have uh, any. He didn't have that problem ever again. <laughs> I tell you, the most amazing Thomas Keller thing I've ever seen is, you know, I'm a huge Bourdain fan, as so many people are. In his, one of his first shows, okay, he, he had never met Keller before. He takes him, I forget the guy's name, but he uh, wound up Michael, writing his, Michael Ruhlman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Eric Repair, and another chef that I can't uh, recall the name. Scott Bryan. And they're, they're all seated at this table, and they're, they're hitting in the vino. I showed that to my freshman. I mean, it's phenomenal. So what he does is, now the French Laundry is doing regular service. They've got them just in a side room. And he does like a 20-course tasting. Oh, wait. Not just... 20 course for the table. He did a different course for each person, okay? Over 80 dishes. Over 80 dishes, all right? So it's 20 for me that are different than 20 for him, that are different 20 for them. Phenomenal. He I mean, it was just that. like a mind-blowing. Nobody does that. <laughs> you know, it's... You uh, know, I went to the French Laundry and, uh, and, and I, you know, it's true, you know, around, around course five or six, you know, I'm very dejected. I'm saying, Shh, I know nothing about food. I know nothing about food. I've been cooking all my life, and I don't know a damn thing about food. You know, but then you get home. I got home, and it was a couple of weeks afterwards, and I was uh, I was doing some prep work in my kitchen, and I have my pre I have a, a great room, and and um, and where my my board is also have. Uh, it's a little ledge. I don't. I'm not in a closed kitchen. There's a yeah. ledge, and I can see. So there, on the ledge, there was uh, uh, some books here, and that that menu was there. And I was working. And I was thinking about the French Laundry, and I got that menu out and I looked at it. You know, said, you know, it's still a sauté. <laughs> it's still a maybe a, a sous vide with a sear. It's still a, a, a pan roast. He he didn't invent the the the, the any new cooking techniques. Yeah. He didn't reinvent the wheel on cooking. His his genius is putting 
flavors, textures, and colors together. Like he does stuff like, uh, like you said in the video, I mean, I had it, you know, a salmon chop. There's no chops on a salmon, right. but he does it, you know, or, or the same thing he said, I had that dish too, was, uh, you know, he, he, he puts uh, certain terms that in classical French cooking are reserved for just certain things, like Navarin or Navarez is for lamb. It's always been for lamb. Well, he does it with with lobster, ah, and wow. it's delicious, yeah. you know. And it's so that that's where his genius lies. But you know, I tell people all the time the the, the best way to do things is simply. Oh when, yeah. When you're cooking. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it ain't rocket science. However, it is about being creative. Absolutely. I, you know, I invented a dish that uh, you know I I think I invented it, okay, because I've as much as I eat out and all these places that I've been and all these things that I've done which is more than most, not as much as some, but much more than most. I've never had it anywhere, okay? And it's a version of scallops, and I, I'm a bit of an amateur saucier, and, and I did this thing, and I'm not gonna tell you what I did, but it's unique, and if you ever had them, you know what, exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's just, it was me playing around. I wanted to make a, a, a vodka cream sauce, and I didn't have any vodka, so I used a different type of liqueur. Mm -hmm. And it changed the complexion of the dish, I cooked the scallop the same way. I seasoned the scallop the same way. The cream was different. It meshed perfectly, and you know, it's uh, bon. You know, you you know, know? Jacques Pepin says, "There's no such thing as an original recipe." There you go. There's only a certain amount of foods. That's out right. There, and there's millions and millions and millions of people cooking. Chances are, that's why I never had a problem giving up my recipes. I never understood this proprietary thing. You know, oh well, you know, it's, I would never give up my secret. They're not going to cook it like you. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I can give my gumbo recipe to five different people. I'm going to have five different gumbo. I mess with my good buddy Jody Montalero. Uh, oh, he makes this best I've ever had, crawfish enchiladas. And I'm like, give me the recipe. He refuses to. Right? And I'm like, this old Crowley boy, you know. And he's like, and a, an amazing cook, okay, and and a big cook, right? He'll he'll cook. Um, for a lot of people, and, yeah. and that excellence in execution is a whole nother thing. You know, we were talking about Classy earlier. When you got a ball of crawfish, a sack, that's one thing. When you got a ball of 1,200 pounds, mm -hmm. all right, and you, they, everybody wants it to drop at the same time, it's a whole different world. So I got a tremendous amount of respect for people that cook big. I call it fair style. Mm -hmm. You know, we grew up going to fairs yeah. and, and whatnot, and, and people are cooking in these giant pots, okay, and, and it's they hitting it. Every time jambalaya tastes the same. The the at the at the French food festival in La Rose, you know, the 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 pork mm -hmm. I mean, every time, every time, every time. But you were talking earlier about those eureka moments. Mm -hmm. Okay, y you got to have a love for this industry. You, you may get started because you need the paycheck. You stay in it because you got the heart. Oh, you know? absolutely. And you and know. you came to Nichols and correct me if I'm wrong. Did you graduate in theater or? Well, what? I did. You know, and I told him earlier about how you and I have graced the stage once or twice. Yeah. He upstaged me every time. But wh what was your eureka moment growing up? The Randolphs was your father's, and then well, look, growing up, I I I, uh, I was the middle child, and I was telling my father, and well, well, when I when he asked me what I was going to study, I had to go to college, mm -hmm. and he, he told me, so I, you know, I, I can I brought you in this world, I can take you out. <laughs> okay. And for those of y'all that don't know, we're broadcasting straight off of LA One on the Bayou Lafourche, and we're talking about going 45 minutes straight down the road to the bustling metropolis of Golden Meadow, Louisiana. <laughs> he says, so what are you going to study in college? And I says, well, you know, uh, it's been, it's a toss-up. It's either going to be music or uh, 
or theater. He, he said, Dad, you know I was never going to come into this business. <laughs> I said, you know how much of this business has taken away from me as far as my personal life, right. my, my free time and everything? How many times did I walk, when I was walking in the back of the, because we lived near the restaurant, I had to walk in the back of the restaurant to get to my car, <laughs> you know? Friday night or Saturday night. Hey, boy, where are you going? I got a date. Yeah, you do with that pot sale. <laughs> Hit it. It didn't show up tonight. That, or it could have been, you know, the fry cook yeah. or the saute or whatever. Or the expedite or I need a waiter or whatever. And, uh, and it, that happened a lot to, yeah. to me, you know. And so I worked every single thing there was to work in that restaurant. Working this, this is a stupid business. There's no way I'm ever going to take this business so <laughs> Never Famous say, last words of never a fool, say, right? Hey, you know? Never, you know. And what happened is that I went to work for some other people, and and I found out I didn't like working for other people, and um, and these people were kind of they were grabbing a lot of money out of the business and stuff like that, and I was having a hard time to pay bills, for, you know, and I was paying local people first. If you came from out of town, I wouldn't. You weren't getting paid, <laughs> you know. And uh, I just, I didn't want to be left, you know, without a chair to sit down when the music ended. Mm -hmm. So I quit that, and it was at a time when my dad was looking to sell the business. So now tell us about the business real quick. Tell us about Randolph's, where it was, how many, what was the tops, yeah. you know, what it was known for. Randolph's was... Under uh, your father. Yeah, Randolph started, Randolph's restaurant started in 1946. My dad came back from World War II, seven years in the Army. Both, both theaters of, of, of war, and both the Pacific and the, and the European theater, made four, made four big invasions, uh, beachhead invasions and whatnot. And he came back, and uh, before that, before the war, the family was always involved in selling food somewhere, somehow. Mm -hmm. Street food. Wherever there was people congregated, it could have been after mass, it could have been after the uh, you know people letting out of the Repstock Theater, mm -hmm. it could have been at a wedding, it could have been at a at a at a, a family reunion. Where at wherever there was more than 12, 14 people, a comp someone was on the street there in my family selling food. What kind of food? It could have been ice cream that they made their homemade ice cream. They did snowballs in the summertime. They also did uh, sandwiches, you know, they did hunks of pie. They couldn't afford pie tins, so they would make pies in the lids of MFB lard cans. <laughs> Made a perfect pie tin, by the way, but it was a big one. It's like a 14-inch pie, you know? And mommy would make, my grandmother would make tatala bouillie, tatala patatus, all kinds of coconut, uh, you name it. And, and hand-grated coconut, you know? The work was just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then we had our we had our garden. We had our own little bakery, and that we had a mud oven outside. Wow! And great grandmother cooked all the all the bread. You know that we that we needed for anything. So we were already but street food people. All right. When he came back, it was just a natural progression to want to have his own place. Mm -hmm. So he started on a little place on the buyer side. It had six stools and it had four tables of two. the The menu was hamburgers, hamburger steaks pork chops, the hamburger steak and the pork chop got a small salad and, and french fries with everything, you know. That place, it didn't have running water. They had to go get water from a cistern across the street. The, the public restroom was an outhouse on, on the side of the building. 
and um, the refrigeration was an ice box. Ice box. You know, a big hunk of ice. Right. And, but some, and, and the ice box itself was homemade. <laughs> <laughs> now we talking late 40s early 46 46 wow so 40 end of 47 he's already he's got the, the restaurant built just across the street from the little plate from the little burger joint um the first restaurant uh, the, the, in, when it was first built it was the, the 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 dining room was 25 by 25 and the kitchen was 25 by 25 but a little section of the kitchen was was uh, walled off and that was my mother and father's bedroom. You want to talk about living in a restaurant? Yeah. Literally. Yeah. And um, and they had, they had the, the you know they could go next door to, to my grandmother's to shower and stuff. You know, how my mother put up with that, yeah. I'll never know. But anyway, um, and then the second dining room was was put on in 1960 or whatever, 62. Um, I, I don't think seafood was first served in there until 61 or 62. Now that's interesting. Well, because before then, I mean, you couldn't think keep about it. You couldn't keep it refrigerated? Like, no. Oh, yeah. Seafood is what people ate every day. Yeah, you got, that's a very good point. You want some seafood? It's right there. Go get it. But you know, that's yeah. one thing we ain't touched upon about all of this is just we're spoiled on the availability yeah. of like, this bounty that we have. Like my father growing up, you know, it was a real treat for them. as Growing up as kids, as on Sunday, my grandmother would braise like a round steak, a couple of uh -huh. round steaks and a red sauce yeah. to eat with spaghetti. They thought that was the best thing since sliced bread, baby, let me tell you. But shrimp, Oysters, fish, whatever. Eat that every day. Right. You know, it's boring stuff, you know? I mean, and you really, I mean, that's why they never, you know, people down there, they didn't, during the Depression, where you had people starving to death, anything you you, 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 you put in the ground is going to grow. That's it. Anything. Yeah. All right? And we have three growing seasons, and then the where, where was, the, the your pantry was outside, was in the water, was flying, was yeah. crawling, or whatever, you know? And so everybody ate well, you know? And, and, and vegetables were a big part of their diet too because mm -hmm. my, my master saw had a big, big uh, uh, vegetable garden. Yeah, you, you grew up down the bay. You, you didn't miss your greens. Of course, she didn't, she didn't let just say, she, she was the only one that was allowed to harvest. <laughs> if you were a kid, you were allowed to weed. <laughs> And you better not eat the hot French bread coming out the oven if there's some old French bread left because you get your ass whipped. All right? You've got to eat that bread first. Then you can have the new bread. And Maman Sasa? Maman Sasa. What was her real name? Her real name was, boy, you put me on the, on the scoop. Now, hold on. Uh, I know the feeling. It's one of the things that everybody down the bar has got a nickname. My grandmother was nicknamed Maman Abbe, which was her husband's first name. And it was Ilusia. Colin, oh, C-O-L-I-N, which is names. which is a um, an unusual thing because uh, you know I've done uh, my ancestry and everything. So I, I had an ancestor that was in Dublin. Wow. All right, his last name was Collins. <laughs> okay, so he got on a boat and went to on, he stowed away on a boat to 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 to, to, to France. Okay, to Marseille, he made his way up to Paris. And then he left there and he came, uh, so, so Collins became Colin. Uh -huh. Came to America, became Collins again. There you go. <laughs> there you go. We had one of my, my father figures in my life was a fellow by the name of Herman Collins, and daddy always called him Colin. Yeah. Colin. So dad's restaurant basically was, um, you know, and in, in especially in the 60s and 70s when the oil boom was just going crazy, you know. He was a lunchtime restaurant. We were open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Breakfast, was pretty good on the weekend and, and and during the week if people had a half hour or so to come and eat with us sure um but um 
but but our, our our major day part was lunchtime during the week, and that was people uh, that were salesmen that were coming to to sell their goods and services to the people that had boat companies and little oil companies, whatever, down the bay. And so, you know, the three-hour lunch was was down there was invented at Randolph's. Yeah, you know, so that was very cool. Uh, but then you know things change, and and uh, when I bought it, uh, we were still a lunchtime place in '81, and then what happened in the '80s? The oil recession yeah. hit, you know, and uh, and when, what, what I saw though was more and more people coming to the area from Baton Rouge and New Orleans and beyond to come and sports fish, you know, and do you know? So was, I said I need to get those guys, you know, so. That's when I started. And teaching. they didn't want to eat the round steak. They didn't want to eat. Well, the, I started. Know. I started teaching myself about fine dining and everything. And and I remember it started one Friday night. I think it was in '83 or something like that. I did a dish called uh, Lapin à la Flamand. It was in the wintertime, and it's uh, rabbit in the Flemish style, and it's basically like a. a, a, a it's almost like a coco vin. It's it's uh, you 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 braise the the. the the rabbit pieces in the wine that it's marinated in yeah. overnight along with the mirepoix vegetables and whatnot and then i remember the the, the garnish is three little heart-shaped pieces of bread that's fried in clarified butter until they get real crisp <laughs> and then you put currant jelly uh, and so you got three little hearts on top of that and and that was straight out of escoffier mm -hmm. only had 14 orders people and you had to come through my kitchen to get to the bathroom so people would come to the bed, ran, that's the best rabbit I ever ate in my life. Sold it out, and I kept get, I got so many compliments on I was floating around the kitchen that day. I was, yeah, baby. And it just made me want to learn more and yeah. more and more. So when until the time when they asked me to come and teach here, I said, well, what do you want me to teach here? He said, we want you to teach classical French cuisine. This is from Dr. Chesser, remember him? Yeah. So Dr. Chesser, how do you know I know anything about classical French cuisine? So we've eaten here the last eight weekends. You know a lot about <laughs> classical French cuisine. But it's because I taught it myself. I yeah. mean, I, everything I could grab and read, I would get it. You know, this is before you know, internet and all of that. This was all, you know, <laughs> you know hands-on stuff, right. you know. And if I wasn't, I, I, I didn't watch a whole lot of television those days. I was always doing research, you know. And so, you know that 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 went from that one little special that one weekend. You know, went to uh, starting on Thursday nights. We put an addendum to the menu. You know, and it would be six or seven first courses, from which you could get three or four uh, courses out of ostensibly, because I would feature a hot appetizer, a cold appetizer, some soup or, or, or gumbo, some special salad or, or whatever. You yeah. Know? And so you could get a few courses out of that thing I called first courses, and then I have uh, I called second courses, which were main courses. I have six or seven of those, three or four desserts. That changed every week. Yeah. Every week, we'd meet on Sunday because my crew had a big hand in what I was doing. If my crew didn't want to, any member of my crew didn't want to be there, I don't want you to be there here either. Go away. All right. I only want people that are invested, okay, to be here. And they bring ideas. Chef, I think, you know, I, I did this or I ate this somewhere, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, you know, go buy the stuff, bring it to me, I'll reimburse you, we'll cook it, and we'll vote on it. And if it makes the menu, then, well, what on it? You know, what a, it gave them such... Yeah, and it's empowerment to feel like you're part of something, yeah, you're a collaborator, absolutely. you're not just working. So, you know? uh, so yeah, so uh, when my dad had it, you know, it was steaks... Uh, steaks, chops, uh, seafood, grilled, fried, or broiled, 
and um, you know a few sandwiches at lunchtime with a with a lunchtime plate special, you know the lunch plate, but, and that was it. But I knew I knew that if I was going to stick to just that, yeah, I was going to blow my brains out. You, you know, you talk about staff and collaborating with them. I'm sure y'all were blessed uh, in the old way with with folks that probably were with the restaurant for. I had a dishwasher for 15 years. Unbelievable. Dude. Who keeps a dishwasher? Yeah. Louise Buzigard, who fried every piece of fried chicken in my restaurant. 54 And the years. fried chicken is legendary at Randolph. Let's be clear. And she doesn't eat fried chicken. <laughs> I said, is it because you, you, you cook so much of it? No, she says, I never like fried chicken. <laughs> but 54 uh, years, Miss, uh, um, uh, we called her Lulul. Uh, what was her real name? Um, Marie Serigné. Uh, handled every piece of seafood that came into my restaurant. You know, she peeled all the shrimp, she got all the fish, because I, I didn't buy fish filleted, I bought fish on the hook, oh, so to yeah, speak, whole, whole fish. And she, and she had a way of filleting a, a trout. <coughs> we keep the skin on for most applications. But you know that belly part where yeah, everybody cuts yeah, out? Yeah, keep it. She had this little bitty knife and she could feel it and she'd pull out those pin bones. That's, that is great tasting yeah, right, meat right, right, right there. Nobody did because it's a pain in the ass to do. Yeah, to get the bones out. But I could get 50, if, if I got 300 pounds of trout for her to clean, I'd get 150 pounds of meat. Wow. 50% yield yeah. on a trout is, is really good. Right. What does that do to your cost? Oh, it's, you know, I mean, it's just, it's everything. Yeah, you're killing it. You know? Uh, speaking of belly, Ola. Frazier Buzigord. Frazier waited for, you know, was, was a, a waitress, service person. You're not supposed to say waitress anymore. Yeah, right. Was a service person for at least 48 years. You know, um, yeah, I had some people that stayed with me a long time. Without them, I'm no, I'm no success at all. Yeah. And then we went into the... We went into the, uh, I did, I went into the catering business. Miss Betty Sheremy, you know Miss Betty Sheremy of B&E yeah. &E Boat Company down there? She walks into my, my kitchen one day. She says, Randy, what you doing July 28th? Which was a few months down the road. I said, I don't know, Miss Betty, where are we going? <laughs> she says, I, uh, I need you to do my, my daughter's wedding. Oh, wow. What venue or is your wedding gonna be? She says, at my house. So you want a, a nice buffet? And oh, no, no, sit down wedding, sit, sit down dinner. For how many? 250. Miss Betty, you, I know your house, I've been inside your house, there's no way you can seat 250 people in your house. Well, no, we gotta do it outside on the tennis court, under a tent. She says, yeah. I'm, you know I'm gonna have to build a tent next to a kitchen tent. She says, oh, I know. You know I'm gonna have to go get everything. She says, Randy, did I ask you how much it was gonna cost? Right. No, she says, you're doing it. I want you, I want nobody else but you. Okay. I said, but Miss Betty, you know what happens every day in South Lafouche at four o'clock, at three o'clock in July? She says, what? It rains. <laughs> it rains every day. She says, oh, no, no, it's not gonna rain. It's not gonna rain. I've done my praying about that. Well, you know, they got married in the front of the house, this big, big, wide brick walkway, and then you had little white consent. And whose wedding service. was it? Betty Sheremy's daughter's wedding. Right, right, right. And these little white picket, little seats and everything, and they, they put up this, this uh, 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 facade of, uh, uh, like, uh, flats, uh, flat facades uh -huh. of, uh, of um, Greek columns and flowers gotcha, everywhere. Gotcha. And when they said, I do, down for. That was the worst gig I ever did. However, I got 12 other jobs from that thing. Yeah. Who knew 
that in Golden Meadow or in South Lafourche, that there was a niche for a high-end caterer. You know, you aren't coming to me for ten dollars a plate jobs. You're coming to me for twenty-five, thirty, forty dollar right. plate jobs. Okay, and and um, and I was successful. The first, it got so I got so busy. I called my brother-in-law, who lived in uh, in New Iberia, and my 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 my, my sister had died at this point, and, and he wasn't liking life there. I says, "Come on, bro, come be my partner." And we put in the same amount of money, he and I, and we opened up Randolph's Catering. Oh, wow. And, uh, but that was, that was a part of why I sold it, too, because I was working myself to death. Yeah, and, you know, the, as, as lovely as those big jobs are, because you can control food costs. Yeah. Right? And that's where you make that's a good margin. Yeah, I mean, you that's know? what's great about catering is that you can control all your costs. Yeah. You know exactly what your what your labor cost is going to be. You know because if you do a show, if you if you do a gig for for 150 people, then 100 show up. They pay for 150 that's people. That's right. You know that's the great thing. Now the 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 bad thing is staying busy. You know what are you going to do in January? Everything is busy. October, November, December. Boom, 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 boom. Then what happens January 1st after January 1st? All right, you got more to You still got to you still got to pay yeah. the electric bill. No, you still gotta, all those fixed costs don't go away. You know, and so and that's that's what the what the catering business does. It's 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 it roller coasters, but you have to find ways of getting that revenue because there's there's ways to do it. You just gotta go and beat the bushes. I had Jeremy. Jeremy was my salesperson. Uh -huh. She went out and found, she found the jobs for us in the slow time. She really did, and that's why we were successful at it. But you know, my 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 restaurant was here, my house was here, and my catering was here. And I was going from here to here to here to here, and I wasn't stopping in the, middle, in the middle very often. So um, I knew a, I had to do something. And I, they say, and you know, retrospect and looking back, you know, is what's that worth? You know, I mean, hindsight's, you know, I should, could I hire a couple of more chefs? Yeah, but I like spending time. I like doing. I like being hands-on. Yeah. I should have hired a manager. So, you know, to do more of the office work, but I didn't trust anybody. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, look, that's, <laughs> having, having been in the industry, you know, and when you get out, you'll spend the rest of your life Monday oh, morning yeah. quarterback and yeah. things you could have done. And it could be uh, a whole concept thing. It could be, you know, if we'd have just done Thursdays differently, it could be, hey, look, you know, I love this dish and I lost my ass on it. Uh, if I would have just listened and not kept trying to put a but square you, peg in a round hole maybe things would be different but you know again that's all part of this thing we do and the love that you have for it we the tagline is it's it's the industry we hate to love right i mean because you beat yourself up over it and you wonder why you keep going back to such a scorn love and I, you know there's a lot of things that i miss about randolph's there's a lot of miss my clients i miss i miss my crew i really yeah. do uh, well let me ask but you there's this. a lot that i don't miss oh there's no doubt but so, you know what was the best? You know what was the very best about that? What what I missed the most is when we were ha and we had more of them than not. Yeah. When we were on it. Yeah. When when you when the food was looking so good, people were coming, you know, passing through the kitchen and saying, "Randy, that is the best fill in the blank I ever ate in my life," and the food was looking good and 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 it was getting out on time and the servers were just hustling and. And everything just clicked, and we were yeah. a well-oiled machine. And afterwards, you know, when it all slowed down, I'd, I'd call PJ's down there, and, and he had he had PJ's Lounge, but he also had the Oyster Bar, which was old buddy's bar, you know. I said, uh, now we talking Fed Pond, huh? Yeah, I said PJ. I said, uh, 
put a bartender and a shucker in the oyster board if you got some oysters. You got some? He said, oh yeah, I got some from Mr. Collins. He said, that's the best. Hubert Collins, you know. I says, uh, I'm, I'll, we'll be there with my crew at about, about 11.30 after we clean up here. And I take him there just to dr eat oysters and off the half shell and drink beer. And I pick up the tap, and look. Delicacy. I couldn't do, I, I wish I could have paid them more. Yeah. They deserved that and they deserved, they deserved more because they, they were such a good crew. They really were. I tell you, we were, I was talking with one of my old staff uh, last night uh, about this and, and they were like, you, we should do a reunion. And I was like, yeah, because you know, not only do we have such a great staff and they've all gone on to do, do a lot of things, we've still got a couple of lifers in the industry, but you know, it's, uh, it's a camaraderie that you build. You never lose it. When you share that so much blood, sweat, yeah. and tears with folks, that uh, it builds a lifelong bond. But you know, this has been phenomenal. You've knocked it out of the park just like I thought you would. Uh, you, you talk about the, uh, the memories that you have and, 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 and what you miss. I'm actually just kind of a throwback to the beginning of the, of the show. What was, what was your single favorite dish at Randolph's. I'll tell you mine, Ooh, and you boy. can go from there while you think. We went in there, the, the, it might have been the last time I'd ever gone to Randolph's. I sat in the back, I was, I was killing time for like an hour and a half waiting for a pickup for business uh, to come and meet us there. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't eaten lunch, and I was like, what's something I could knock out, because I'm probably not gonna eat once they get here, da da da, da. That crab meat or gratin, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm salivating yeah, right yeah. now about it. I mean, that was phenomenal. You know, it was a Paul Prudhomme recipe. Really? I stole it from Paul. Noted. I stole from the best. <laughs> it's imitation is the highest form, right? Hey, the look, flattery. Just like the, you know, the, um, we used to do, a, I used to do an appetizer on uh, using a, not a, 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 I used to sell big soft shell crabs for entrees, but for a first course, I'd have these little small soft shell crabs. And uh, it was a rendition of what, of what, <laughs> Of what uh, Frank Brighton is still does today. Frank you know? Brighton, a, a, an illustrious oh. alum of the institute, who gave so much as an adjunct. I can't tell you how many of his recipes I stole. <laughs> <laughs> I but you know, that was my education. Yeah. I, I didn't come to culinary school. On Mondays and Tuesdays, I was closed. Where was I? I was coming to the city. I was going yeah. to eat in some yeah. of the best restaurants around, and I was stealing from the best, if not direct stealing, an inspiration. Right. You know. Frank was very, you know, forthcoming. Like I am with my recipes. I give my recipes. If you want them, you got them. Yeah. All right. But especially to to, to my clients, you know. Yeah. They, uh, but uh, and he was always very forthcoming with me. So, but that little uh, uh, sautéed soft shell crab with the uh, roasted garlic and lemon mignon sauce, Ooh. and we we put that on a little fried piece of eggplant. Dude, unbelievably good. I think the best piece of beef that was probably sold in five, five parishes was our Cajun prime rib. Yeah. Well, that was a preparation, though. We would buy a 109 beef rib. A 109 beef rib is a ribeye on the bone. It comes in a netting, and then it's, 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 it's cryovac right? So you take it out of the cryovac and you, you take the netting off, and what, but they leave the fat cap is yeah, still yeah, on it, yeah. all right? It's sliced off, but they put it back on it. That's, that's how all 109 beef ribs come. You don't have to specify it, just by, if you say I want a 109 beef rib, that's what you get. We take it off, do some other trimming. We take a boning knife, which is not a very wide knife. It's about, just about a, a, a half inch, or maybe just a little bit more. And we'd stab that muscle towards the bone, maybe a hundred times. We put a solid layer of salt so you can't see the meat. 
solid layer of black pepper so you can't see the salt, solid layer of, uh, of, of, of uh, granulated garlic so you can't see the black pepper, and then thin little slices of onions, very thin, slice on the machine, real thin. Put the fat cap that goes in the refrigerator overnight. So it's hard <laughs> like a dry rub. Yeah, I was gonna say like a dry rub. Dry age, huh? Day two. Yeah. Take it out and um, you let it come to room temperature a little bit. <clears throat> then it's thrown into a 500 degree oven for about 40 minutes. It doesn't cook the interior of the meat, but what it does do is that it melts the fat cap. And the fat cap melts and the, all that fat goes down and it brings that seasoning into those holes <laughs> pretty nicely. Yeah. <laughs> Take it out, let it rest for an hour or two, and it gets put back in the refrigerator overnight. Day three, we take it out, we take the fat cap off, we, we take all that seed, we scrape it off, throw it all away. All right, and we, we really scrape the back, that, 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 that uh, muscle with the back of a French knife to get as much of that seasoning off. We took it to the bandsaw, and we cut it to about 18 to 20 ounces, all right? And so then, you're talking a steak. I'm talking a steak, bro. Yeah. And, and this is a US, this is um, certified Angus beef, all right? C real certified Angus beef. There's, there's Angus that is, uh, that, that is uh, a, a graded like prime, you know, choice and select. But then certified Angus beef is, is, a, is a, a grade unto itself, yeah. okay? So then uh, I would have this other seasoning mix of salt, white, black, and red pepper. Uh, mustard powder and fennel seed and just do a light light seasoning on that and then it was grilled because it was still raw yeah yeah, yeah. When it was cut. Right. so you just uh, we grill into order and serve it with a now what did the fennel do it's just that little something yeah you know, something. it's not something that you'd even recognize you go man what is that yeah what is that you know it's because that's usually, you know, the, I think fennel is used mostly in, like in, in Italian sausages and stuff like that but this is just a little bit it's not a lot you know and and um, he was all, oftentimes told me that's the best piece of meat I've ever eaten. <laughs> so I would say that's one of my favorites. Well, look. But it took three days to make. In, in the event that uh, the Lord ever blesses me and I find myself to the altar one day uh, for my bachelor party, we're going we're gonna to reinvent Randall's catering. We're going to come and cook that for me and my boys. And that was phenomenal sounding. Let me yeah, just tell you. Yeah, that's a well, my friend. Uh, I can't thank you enough. It's been a pleasure. I'm, I'm pretty sure we went 30, 40 minutes over what we thought we were going to do, but hey, I was look, watching. Talk about food. I've been uh, here all day. I was watching Rogan uh, in the prep to all this stuff on how to how to do this this business, and he said, "Just go, Coach. So yeah. Don't let the, don't become a slave to the clock. If you're having a great conversation, roll with it. And I don't know if we'll ever have a, a conversation as good as that one. So, my friend, thank you for being here with us on our inaugural show you from. The Bistro Ruth here at Nichols, and uh, the only thing that was is left on our normal programming is going to be uh, a bit of a critical critique, like we said. And it, uh, I'm going to critique us today. We're going to get things a little tighter. We're going to make the show more enjoyable. Certainly, we're going to dusty it up with a couple of graphics, maybe change some lights. Who knows? But we are going to try to put out a quality product for you and keep you entertained, just like we did today with my good friend, Chef Randy Sheremy. And uh, we thank you for coming in and checking out the back of the house, giving you a little insight on the way things go. And uh, we hope to see you next time. Till then, au revoir.